Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are in the third sermon in our new series, Uncommon Time. It is a, it is a walk through the book of Romans while also walking through our newspapers. In fact, uh, theologian Karl Barth said this several years ago, you got to take your Bible and then you got to take your newspaper, but you got to read both. But please interpret newspapers from your Bible. And so I've been trying to keep up with all things important news, all things kind of funny, all things kind of interesting. This story caught my eye. Of course it would. Uh, Some of you have sent me a a pretty funny picture. It's of a priest or a pastor with a water gun, a squirt gun, squirting a child and calling that baptism. I did actually find something very close to that. It happened in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, This is uh, Pastor Grace and Matthew. She is a Methodist pastor in, in Evanston, Illinois, and, and that young man is about to be baptized. And I'm going to read from the story a little bit. A few months ago, pastor said she'd never baptize anyone with a garden hose, <laughs> but COVID-19 changed all of that. Apparently, there was uh, still some good social distancing that happened. There was a small crowd there in the kid's yard. She said there were eight people and a dog, if that counts. And she, uh, again, said, leads the First United Methodist Church there in Evanston, Illinois. And it just sort of underscored for me, not only do I miss having communion each week, but I miss baptisms too. I like the cumulative effect um, of the Eucharist each week. When we gather around the table, yes, there is something for us in that particular moment, but there is really something for us uh, week after week after week. There is a cumulative effect. I feel the same way about baptisms. Now, we don't have baptisms every week, but we have them often enough that we have traditions that we know and understand. And those baptisms also pile up. There is a cumulative effect to those kinds of things as well. For example, when you are around the water or around the table, you are not likely to hear people scream in intolerance. You're not, you're not likely to hear people in anger or in hatred. You aren't likely to hear open debates about my rights. You aren't likely to see many clenched fists or hard hearts. You are way more likely to see open hands and open hearts. In fact, I need to say this to us, and by us, I mean OKC first, but I also mean the church broader than this. I think there is also a cumulative effect to not being able to gather. I think there is a cumulative effect to not gathering around the table. I think there is a cumulative effect to not having people come into the waters of baptism, and we need to be on our guard. We need to be aware that there is a cumulative effect We need to remember that these sacraments are not extra credit faith. These are part and parcel of who we are. We need to be aware that to have these things and to celebrate these moments each week, that results in a better person, a better believer, and a better church. We also need to be aware that not being able to celebrate these things on a weekly basis also puts us at some risk. Can we be aware, please, that baptism is important? Paul believed it, too. Part of what's going on in this book of Romans, and we talked about this a little bit last week, there has been uh, the expulsion of the Jews from Rome. 
Claudius, the emperor, thought these Jews were troublemakers. And so even the ones that now would be understood as Jewish Christians, they were all expelled. They were all expelled. Claudius dies in about 54, and all of these Jewish Christians return home, and they find that their churches have been absolutely overrun, infiltrated by these Gentile Christians, and now there is great conflict, perhaps even described as ethnic conflict. Does this sound familiar at all? And so Paul is writing the book of Romans to try to get everybody into the same story, and to use DeCarla's language last week, to get everybody into the same story in the same book, perhaps even on the same page, on the same page. Sacraments do that for us. Sacraments draw us into this place of level ground. Dr. Reed, my friend over at Fairview Missionary Baptist, I I love to hear him say this as only he can. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I would add to that and say the ground is also level around the communion table and around the baptistry. There is something about those sacramental moments that bring us together. Paul has a robust baptismal theology And that is going to be on display today. But like we said a couple of weeks ago, in order to hear the words of Romans 6 properly, you need to kind of sort of jump into the imagination of the Apostle Paul. And you can't go far in the imagination of the Apostle Paul without talking about the Exodus. So bear with me as we go through this again. The Exodus was the story of the Israelite slaves who were under the thumb of the Egyptian Pharaoh. God hears the cries of his people, and God comes and he rescues them. Here is the night of Passover when finally, because of the blood of this Passover lamb, the people are finally freed, and they get to the edges of the Red Sea. They get to the edges of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's armies are in hot pursuit, but the people of God are able to cross over on dry land to the other side of the Red Sea, and on the other side of the Red Sea, they are a free people. A free people, the definition of this group of people. They are no longer slaves. They are a free people, but now they are wandering. And as they wander, they are given the law. The law kind of is supposed to order their steps to help them to organize so that they can be the tangible expression of the heartbeat, the mission, the character of God as they are all working toward and finally would reach the promised land. So this is an important story for the Apostle Paul. He is a Jewish theologian who understands Jesus in terms of his old Jewish theology. And so when he works through these issues in the book of Romans, you have to recognize that that story is never far from his imagination. It's never far from the front of his mind. In fact, in fact, I'm one of those people who thinks that Paul goes way out of his way to tell the story of Christ cross, resurrection, in the terms of the Exodus. Let me show you what I mean. Instead of, here in this new Exodus, instead of Pharaoh being Pharaoh, the Pharaoh role is played by sin and death. Sin and death. To this day, there are people who will tell you that sin is inevitable and unavoidable, and the only things that are certain in this life are death and taxes. Well, here's the problem with that. Jesus and the resurrected Christ. That's, that's the problem. But still, playing the role of Pharaoh in this new exodus, sin and death. Like I said, there was this Passover lamb, only we understand this moment to be the beginning of the Christ event, Christ on the cross. And yes, there is another passage through water. We would understand it as baptism. Just like the ancient Israelites were different people 
with different labels on the other side of the Red Sea. So the person of God coming out of the water is supposed to be understood no longer as a part of the old family, no longer captive in the old captivity, but a brand new person. And in some traditions, that person even gets a new name, new identity, new marching orders. Not because of the law now, but these marching orders are delivered by the companionship and the leadership of the Spirit as we all continue to move toward promised land, promised land. The realization of all of God's dreams for all of creation. Now, I said this to you last week, too. We are actually in this storyline. There is our You Are Here sticker. We are in the wandering, being led by the Spirit, but headed toward promised land. We are there, and Paul finds us there, and he has a question for us, and I'm going to ask this question of all of us tonight. How is your baptism going? How is your baptism going? We are stressed, (laughs) y'all. I don't know if you know this, but there is a disease out there that is testing our metal. I don't know if you know this, but there is unrest on the streets. There is violence. There is trouble. I don't know if you know this, but there is an economic challenge out there for all of us. Some businesses will never recover. All of that together... All that together can be experienced probably like these ancient Israelites experienced their lives, trying to wander around, trying to figure out where they were, trying to get their bearings, trying to find promised land. Let me ask you this question again, because we're going to talk about it a lot today. Do you understand your baptism? Do you understand yourself as the baptized? As the story goes, Martin Luther, who was afflicted and conflicted all the time, the ancient theologian Martin Luther, sometimes he would yell into the air, sometimes he would be yelling at the devil himself. He would say, no, I am the baptized. I am the baptized. I am the baptized. In other words, Martin Luther understood there's something about baptism that means that I am fundamentally different. Fundamentally different. Like the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea, I have a new definition that I'm working through. I have a new community, really. I have a new set of marching orders. All of those things can be said about the person coming out of the water, the waters of baptism, fundamentally different, a new community, new marching orders, no matter what the pandemic might be doing to you, no matter what the unrest in the streets might be doing to you, no matter, no matter what you're seeing and watching on your screens, how is your baptism going? I might ask it like this, but I would be wrong to ask it. Is your baptism working for you? The better question is, are you working for your baptism? Christians are to be fundamentally different because of their baptism. We find ourselves baptized. We find ourselves liberated from sin and death. That doesn't mean we won't have challenges. That doesn't mean we won't have bad days. But the tyranny of sin and death should be broken and celebrated in that moment of baptism. When you are identified, when I was identified with the very death of Christ, but then also identified with the life of Christ when they thankfully brought me out of the water. 
Now, yes, there will still be some bad days. But here's the thing. I sometimes wonder if baptized people sometimes look over their shoulders and kind of pine for the old days when life was simpler, when the score was easier to keep, when sin and death were still kind of in control. That would not be unusual, actually. Turns out that people wandering around in, in the, the wilderness after being liberated from Egypt, turns out they also turned around, looked over their shoulder a couple times, maybe several times, and wondered if they weren't better off back in Egypt, even in their old captivity. In chapter 15, they are liberated. <laughs> they are liberated uh, somewhere around 12, 13, and 14. There is this song of praise at the beginning of chapter 15, but by the end of chapter 15 in the book of Exodus, they are complaining that there's no water. And Moses, did you bring us, bring us out here to die? At least we had water back in Egypt. In chapter 16, there's no food. And here's what it said. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you, Moses, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Can you sense it? They sort of are, are looking back over their shoulders, back at their captivity, saying, man, we, at least we had a chicken in every pot. So, in other words, what you had here were liberated bodies whose imaginations and hopes were not yet liberated. Liberated because of the thing that God did, but the Israelites, in chapter 16 at least, were not yet living into or up to their deliverance or their liberation. I see that. Now, this is going to be a um, kind of a personal, kind of a personal uh, sermon. I, but I want you to know, if if you feel like I'm pointing at you, I promise I'm also pointing at myself. There's something about us preachers. We are often doing our own therapy in the pulpit. Just, just kind of what we do. I tell you though, I sometimes feel like I see this. People looking over their shoulders, not living up to or into their baptism when I watch how people post on Facebook in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of nationwide protest, in the midst of an economic downturn. I'm telling you, some of the baptized don't post like they're baptized. Some of the baptized are ready to clench their fists and fight for rights, fight for their side. You're supposed to come out of the baptistry with open hands and open hearts. You're supposed to loosen your grip on what was so that your hands and your heart can be ready for what could be, what God has for you. I know some of the folks that I'm reading, and I, I need to quit doing it, by the way. I know some of the stuff that I'm reading out there is, is written by people who have been baptized. I think perhaps some of you who post like that or live like that, because maybe you're not posting, maybe you are picking up the phone and calling somebody, and in those moments, that's when you're not living up to or into your baptismal vows. Living beneath your privilege as the baptized. Living with a clenched fist. Folks, Coming out of the baptistry, you should come out with open hands and open heart. 
Now, we don't need to rebaptize you. God didn't miss. But I think we do need to remind one another that we are amongst the baptized. Paul is trying to say to the people in Rome, listen, you have some decisions to make. God has already decided for you. Brittany already said it. God's mind about us is made up and the news is really, really good. Now you have some decisions to make. Will you live into the choice that God has made for you with everything that you say, with the way that you go about business, with the way that you go about relationships, the way that you post? Will you now make the kinds of decisions that allow you to make good on the decision that God made for you? Because if you are amongst the baptized, you're supposed to understand yourself as freed from that other stuff that made you clench your fists all the time. You come out of the water again with open hands and an open heart. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin for whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The baptized don't get to say to themselves or anybody else, sin is unavoidable and sin is inevitable. I'm just a human. Or else we waste the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now we will say, more about that in the weeks to come. Lots more about that, about how it is that grace lifts us to places that we could never climb on our own. But I want to put that out there this week in preparation for some of these weeks to come. The resurrection of Jesus tells us, yes, death has been dealt a fatal blow. So also the fear of death needs to be reined in, that fear of death that causes us to sin. If God raised Jesus from the dead, and if death has been dealt a fatal blow, eventually that means that you aren't bound to sin. You aren't bound to sin. Verse 12, therefore, don't let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present or offer up or give away your members, the parts of your bodies, the parts of your person to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members or your body or your will or your imagination or your fingers that you use to post stuff on Facebook to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, baptized folks, since you are not under law but under grace. N.T. Wright says it like this. To present one's members to sin is to be out of tune with the reality of what a baptized Christian is, one who has been brought from death to life. Just like the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea cannot understand themselves as enslaved to Pharaoh anymore, so those of us who have been brought out of the baptistry need to understand that we are no longer slaves to sin and death. God does not miss. 
How is your baptism going? Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death every single time, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness and right-relatedness? Maybe this is part of the problem. I've heard a couple of people uh, say to me recently, I just don't like being told what to do. I, I just don't like being told what to do. I want to be freed, and I want to be freed in a way that results in my ultimate freedom so that nobody's telling me what to do. I have some bad news and some worse news. Which do you want first? Here's the thing. The bad news is God, God desperately wants to be not just your Savior, but your Lord, and is going to be frustrated if God is only your Savior and not your Lord. In other words, God wants to be in a position to tell you what to do and gives you all the resources you need to obey. <laughs> There's another way to say it. I think I'm going to get Bob Dylan to help me say it. You're going to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. The verse goes, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to, to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. And it might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I don't like being told what to do. Well, then you don't yet belong to the one who has chosen you. And you have not yet understood fully what happens in the baptistry. Coming out of the baptistry, you are for sure freed from the tyranny of sin and death. But it's not the kind of freedom that allows you to do whatever it is that you want to do. You are freed from sin and death and freed for life. Under the lordship and leadership of God, we see most clearly in Christ. To be amongst the baptized is to recognize that you now not only have a different sense of identity and a new community, but a new mission and purpose, a calling. You have a calling if you're amongst the baptized to continue to put skin and flesh, skin and flesh on the nature and the character of God. For just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now make the decision. Present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification, or in other words, the means whereby the very image of God in which you were created is recovered and restored not just to improve your resume before God, but so that you can take your place as part of the means whereby all of creation is restored to God's original heartbeat and dream and purpose for it all. The baptized, in so many ways, are the first citizens of the new kingdom to come that is and is also not yet. The baptized are sanctified, again, 
not just for resume purposes, but for the purposes of building the kingdom of peace. Verse 22, now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification, the recovery of God's image. The end is this boundless, eternal life. The wages of sin, always going to be death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, again, I'm going to, along with Paul, Flip back and forth between stories and you have to know that I'm talking about both stories at the same time. In other words, we can't go back to Egypt. The baptized don't go back to Egypt. Now sure, we are, we are just human enough to look over our shoulders at times, but hear me, the baptized don't go back to Egypt. In fact, in fact, the baptized, the baptized start to look around and wonder if there are symbols that need to be eliminated that remind me of my old life in Egypt. When God chooses you, and you say yes, and you go through this liturgy, the sacramental moment of baptism, you need to get rid of all of the pictures of your old flames. There's now a covenant that exists between you and God and you need to make sure that you get rid of all of the old pictures and all the old notes written to you by your old flames. All right, I wanna make you very uncomfortable here for a second. Man, statues are coming down. Street names are changing. The names of buildings are changing. School names are changing. It's almost as if there was a movement to erase every mention and mark of an old way of life and slavery. It's almost as if there are a group of people who are saying, I no no longer want to be understood according to those old terms. Now, some of you are very upset about it. I I met with somebody today, very, very upset about it. Very upset about it. That's, That's fine. Have your opinion. Now, also, have your Bible right there along with your newspaper. Hear me. I wish baptized people worked this hard to get rid of their old idols, to get rid of the pictures of their old idols, to get rid of their old pictures of of their old flames, all of their old love notes. I wish people worked that hard to separate themselves from their old lives of captivity. I wish. I wish we would consider removing all the signs and symbols of our old ways of life How's your baptism going? Is it possible that there's something in your life that needs to go? That old framed picture of your old flame doesn't set well with your new covenant partner. That old way of being alive doesn't fit with this new opportunity to be alive in different ways. Is it time to get rid of whatever it is that causes you to clench your fists so that you can assume the proper posture coming out of the baptistry, which is, and by now you know, open hands 
and an open heart. You see, when you have open hands and an open heart, you can embrace Pharaoh's replacement. You can embrace our Lord who has liberated us. You can allow that same Lord to shape you in a way, a new way of being alive, captured as we are by God, the grace of God and the mission of God. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to deathliness, the fear of death and the sin that inevitably results from our fear of death. Stop looking back over your shoulder, aching for those old ways, performing your old habits. That old life might seem simpler and less costly, but it is not. It might seem like it's more culturally accepted to behave the way that you're behaving out loud or on Facebook, but that's not the life of the baptized. Instead, what we'll do as the baptized is we will give ourselves to our new Lord, the one who won our liberation. And the new world we're given changes everything about us. You've heard me say it before, perhaps our names. It changes our self-understanding, our understanding of our rights, our habits, our definitions of success, our value system, our community, the way we understand love, the way we understand work, the way we talk to one another, the way we disagree, the way we post. The baptized post like baptized people. Doesn't mean you don't have opinions anymore. You just look and sound and smell a lot like Jesus. Open-handed, open-hearted. So, you know I miss having communion, and so a couple times we have marched through here, or just sort of, just sort of worked through a, a small ritual. It's different from communion, but it's meant to help us to think back through communion. I'd like to do that today as it has to do with baptism. I know not everybody's been baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. It won't make God love you anymore. It won't make me love you anymore, but it puts you in a better place. You need to be baptized. And a lot of us need to remember our baptism, and that's what we're going to do today. I just to, like to, nothing real formal, I'd like to walk you through your baptism. In the hopes that if need be, you can recover the capacity to be moved from death to life, from clenched fists and hard hearts to open hands and an open heart. So let's remember baptism right now. You don't even necessarily need water, just, just remember. But pay attention to the, I guess you would call it, the posture of your hands as you remember. Unclench your fists as you remember your baptism. Maybe set stuff down. In fact, let go of your old self and all of the old stuff of your old way of life. I promise you God has something different, something more for you, for me, for us. And we are more likely to receive that something more if we are open-handed and open-hearted. Not looking over our shoulders at our old lives of sin, death, and captivity. You belong to a jealous God. It's time to get rid of those old pictures. It's time to get rid of those old notes. 
It's time to get rid of those old flames. It's time to commit. It's time to give yourself away. It's time to remember your baptism. I love this little quote. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. God's mind about you is made up. Now what we need to do is to help one another make up our minds about God. So that by the time we get to work, so that, by, so that by the time we get to our Facebook pages, so that by the time we get to the streets, so that by the time we are standing in front of our mortal enemies who believe something other than what I do, and I'm right, so that by the time we get in front of our opposites and our irritants, we can still have the open hands and the open hearts necessary to embody the God we see in Christ. Y'all, choose your party wisely. It's fine, whatever you want to be. Be whatever you want to be. But be Christian first before you're a Democrat or a Republican. Because, man, that other way, it's unbecoming of the baptized. It's time to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer of confession before turning it over to my friend, Jason Smith, who will take us through prayers of petition, petition and intercession. But I hope that your hands are still open, your hearts as well. Open hands, that's a pretty good way to confess, to pray a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Oh God, you have freed us. You have freed us in the cross and in the resurrection from the tyranny of death from the inevitability of sin, you freed us. You are more than our Savior. You are and you seek to be our Lord. But we confess, God, that at times, like the people in Exodus 16, we still find this life perhaps a little too good to be true. Perhaps it is so unfamiliar that we look back over our shoulders and long for something more familiar. Perhaps we aren't quite ready to let go of the words that we can use as weapons, the ideas that we can use as weapons against the other. In other words, God, we confess that at times we live beneath our privilege as the baptized people of God. God, it's, it's baptism. You didn't miss. It's us. And so we confess. We confess that we again need the grace that we need every day. 
We confess that on this day we need the grace that we needed on the first day. We confess that we need the grace that we needed when we stepped into the baptismal pool. We need the same grace that lifted us out of those waters of baptism and into this new way of life. We need to be reminded that the only way to live into and up to our baptismal vows, the only way to do it is to allow you to lift us to those places by your grace, by your companionship and by your grace. In other words, God, help us to know how to pray. Help us to know how to read scripture. Help us to know how to talk to one another. Show us the priority of worship and service. In other words, God, help us to find all of these disciplines and habits and practices that remake us for this new world that you have already kicked off in the resurrection. We confess, God, that we are not always good citizens of the new world that you have provided for. We confess and say right out loud with our hands and our hearts open, we need you to come to us again. And now, church, if you would, pray your own prayer of confession in these quiet moments. for all of us hear this prayer may the almighty God have mercy on us forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep us keep us in eternal life